Welcome to the Westerverse. My name is Lizzie. These are my campaign diaries for the Guardians of Bahal. And today we're going to be talking about episode 24, A Special Kind of Magic. Uh, this episode is another downtime day uh, where there is lots of shopping. Uh, I try to make them quick, but I usually don't succeed, um, even when I ask beforehand. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I think I was looking at the clock when I, when I was listening to this episode specifically and I, I was making my notes for it. I was like, okay, the shopping part starts here. Um, what's, uh, okay, thir 30 minutes, okay, 30 minutes of shopping. Okay, I guess it's not terrible, but, you know, it's shorter than a lot of other sh games I'm in. I feel like sometimes we are more mindful of it because we're making a podcast. <laughs> And I'm not Matthew Mercer or Matt Colville. I can't make entertaining NPCs on the fly where I'm like, yep, the shopkeeper is the most interesting person now you've ever met. You'll want to come back and visit them all the time. Um, you know, in games where I'm actually a player, I do not like shopping episodes. And I almost never go out and buy anything. And if it's if I do, it's a super whim thing. Like, we just played a friend's game uh, yesterday when I'm recording this and in the game, they had a festival and we were just kind of walking around. There was games and stuff. And I then realized that like I had been making a gift for somebody and I didn't have one piece of it. And I was like, Oh, I could, I could throw this in there. This might be a nice accompaniment to it. So I was like, Hey, do they have any hand carved like, uh, cups, like wooden mugs that are nice, uh, that have like some sort of like nature embroidery in them. Yeah, okay, I'll buy one of those. And that's that's it. Like I I'm not one who's like I wish to go open the player's handbook and look at all the items and wonder, can I buy all of these and what they would do? I'm not that kind of player. Which is funny cuz in real life I really I I don't mind shopping. I don't know why as a D&D player I'm just like I don't care. I'm not a loot girl. I'm not super super into like treasure drops and stuff. I'm I'm here for the story and the drama, all right? That is, that's my, that's my MO. So, uh, I, I do think that like D and D is one of those things though, that you kind of have to allow for the players to go shopping because you know, it's, it's a fantasy world. Like you want to see what they have that's cool. Um, maybe if I had more, maybe if I spent more time on it, I could develop some more interesting, unique products to sell. And that's kind of an interesting thing is I, I'm working on a novel simultaneously that is set like about a little over a hundred years before this story takes place. And they have, um, it's going to lead to the reintroduction of Fae into the human realm and kind of like the proliferation of uh, like arcane magic that is in today's setting. So I was like, you know, there really should be a lot more kind of like unique modern inventions on certain things or maybe not modern, but unique inventions that aren't just your standard stereotypical fantasy world stuff that is in um, like Lord of the Rings and everything. Um, you I, like there's there's got to be some unique things and some of it I'm it's some of it is like culture based uh but yeah I I maybe I could come up with some more unique things but you know there's only so many hours in the day um 
I, I will say, though, there's an exception to this. There is an exception to my like of shopping, okay, in D&D. If there is ever a formal event and they go to a fancy ball, I would love to do a shopping spree episode. Like, I would love to do a full convo, which each of the players, like, designing their outfits. I mean, I kind of got that a little bit with their costumes for the fighting pits, but they're not as elaborate. Um, and there's actually more details about what they end up going as in a few episodes when they go the night up. Because they didn't really talk about their costumes in too much depth before. Um, but I, I love fashion, and I like I like ball gowns and you know especially now in quarantine i've been seeing a lot of um memes about stuff because there was a, a period regency drama that came out on netflix that's based on like a romance novel series and like there's all these balls in it and people are like am i just crazy from quarantine that this looks fun to me or do i just have i always wanted to go to a ball like a regency ball and i will say i have always wanted to go to a ball i think it'd be really cool just get to dress up all fancy walk around dance the night away on the floor and you know feel very fancy it just sounds fun to me so yeah if they ever get to go to a ball someday which i have actually been told by sam that she's really hoping that that happens at some point in the campaign so we'll have to see if they ever get to a status where like a ball is appropriate um gotta make some moves guys to get invited to those things um all right economics in D, &D. uh let's talk about this for a brief second i personally feel like economics and D, &D don't make sense for a historical setting like they, they're not equivalent uh and it's because in our mindset now we have such a different view of things than we did uh than like a hundred or so years ago well, actually probably more than a hundred years ago um and we're gonna have a brief history moment so in the past usually labor was cheap now that's not saying that there there was there was a you would pay for certain things because it was you had to be a skilled tradesman or a woman who like spent time learning this craft like you know dedicated years to learn how to do this good so you'd go pay somebody to make your clothes for you and this is even in the middle ages most people like even if they were poor did not make their own clothes like they could maybe know how to do a hem and stuff but like the average person was busy working they didn't have time to sit and make all their clothes so they would pay a tailor to do it um and so a lot of the expenses in the old setting before the Industrial Revolution, labor was cheap, but materials were expensive. And uh, and food was also really expensive. There's a really, really good book I got. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it. It's basically like a time traveler's guide to medieval England. And he basically kind of walks you through all of these misconceptions of like, if you were going to this century, like, you know, what would you experience? And one of the things he talks about is he's like, food was actually what was really expensive. When you And when you think about it, that makes sense because to like now we have massive industrial farms like even a farmer today in rural america where they do have hard times and they work really hard and they have a lot of stuff like there's a lot of automation there's also government bailouts for if crops fail there's insurance um there's a lot 
easier ways to control and manage how your crops turn out through modern technology. And back in those days, they didn't have that. Like all it took was one, there wasn't like tons of surpluses of food. So like if, if things went bad, like you had a bad, couple bad winters, like you were fucked. It's actually uh, one of the reasons they think that the witch trials, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that maybe started the witch trials, but one of the things that definitely kind of turned public culture into looking for someone to blame was medieval Europe went through like a cold snap. So they just had like a basic mini ice age period where the climate changed and there was just a bunch of winters where crops failed and stuff. So they started blaming witches. And when you think about it, uh, so economically food should be very, very expensive uh, because there's not mass productions of items. Like we don't have industrial lines. We don't have like, giant machines that regulate crops to ensure that like there's not failures now in my setting some of those things are kind of starting to come back in larger force because of the wider use of magic now arcane magic specifically um so it's kind of an interesting change of like how it works but for the players they just want to know can i buy this magic sword how much is it and if you use that logic of what it actually should cost, uh, it can get a little bit confusing because really an item like that, like who, how many people need to buy it? Like probably they're in service to a noble lord, you know, cause why would the average person have money to go buy a sword like this? Um, but you got to make it easy. So it's like, yep, there is definitely a shop here. You can get a magic item because it's one of those things that like it, it, if players can't do it, get it, then they get kind of like a little frustrated. So I don't know, maybe my next game I'll have an easier answer for this, but I, I feel like, uh, it's just really hard to figure out a cohesive economic system in D and D. And if I ever figure out how to do it, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. So, um, Ooh, one thing that was fun about shopping, they had to figure out what to do with Rowan for the fighting pits, because he's obviously a little bit of a unique person. So he's going to stand out more. Um, and they got a hat of disguise. I love hats of disguise. And of course it doesn't have to just be a hat. The hat literally says it can look like anything. So I like the idea of him having it as like a leaf. Um, because it just fits in with his aesthetic. Uh, and yeah, you have to register for when you sell hats of disguise. And that might be uh, reasons why are pretty obvious. You know, it's the same with uh, disguise self scrolls. Like they're pretty, those are monitored pretty hell heavily for obvious reasons. So um, yeah, they but they haven't really had to have reasons to buy disguise self because Una just transforms herself. So yeah. Uh, ooh, okay. So let's, let's go into completing the acts. Okay. I had written up this scene for a while where I was so excited for him to be able to finish the acts. It took them longer to go through the aqueducts and all that than I thought it would. So like for, for two months, I had written up the completion of his acts and like this cool moment of finishing it and him interacting with his goddess. And then Andrew freaking interrupted it and had to say he was there. And I'm like, I don't give a shit if you're there. I, I had a moment. Um, I could have probably given them a moment to say like, what are you doing? Where, where are you at? But also I'm like, no, I've been waiting for this narration. 
and I have this special thing written for Josh, and I just want to read it. So I, I've been told by one of my friends who listens to the series, she's like, yeah, you sounded really mad during that part. I'm like, I was. I was in a mood. I'm sorry. It's just excited. Uh, I always love it when the players get to have, like, a little supernatural moment. And, you know, I was excited for him to be able to talk to talk to his goddess. Um, so anyway, I, I was really excited to kind of reveal this because because he used a special ingredient, this axe was very more unique for, uh, than Hans and Franz's sword was. Um, and it's really extra powerful specifically with Rowan. Um, and this kind of opens a fun avenue of, I get to try to spend some time thinking about what sort of combinations of things could he use to make his weapons even more special. And my way of doing this is like, uh, you, you can obviously do like some basic enchantments and stuff on the axe where like, oh yeah, it could do this or this. Like you got your standard plus one, plus two, plus three weapons. Um, you can have your basic kind of enchantments that you see in the books. Like in one of the games, the, the Princess of the Apocalypse game we played, uh, the campaign setting brief spoilery things but uh there's an item that you can get where it's like a weapon that you throw it and it returns to you and we gave that to our barbarian and it was game changer because suddenly he had ranged weapons that were not just a javelin and it was ridiculous it was awesome when he had three attacks on that thing it was just like boom 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 like thor it was great um so I want to give him the chance to make things like that. But also, like, I think if you found some sort of special ingredients, like, it should have an aspect of that ingredient or, like, if there's a sentimental item, you know, it helps. Maybe this is my love of, like, folklore and mythology kind of bleeding over, but uh, I, like, the, I love it in, like, fairy tales where, like, there's these weird little loophole things or these weird items that you get because it's, like, a sentimental thing that gives you an essence. Like, there's a famous Russian fairy tale. I, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, it's a Russian fairy tale. Uh, Vaselina? I think I'm saying that right. Vaselina, Vasilia, the beautiful. Uh, and basically she, it's kind of like a little bit Cinderella-esque and also a mixture of the myth of like Eros and Psyche slash the Snow Queen where you got to go on these quests and stuff. Um, but she basically has a doll that her mother gave her that does like chores for her. And as long as she feeds it and then it's like super nice and it gives her advice and stuff. And I'm not saying like the players are going to have an item like that. Maybe they could, I don't know. I should, maybe I should invent something. Um, but I like the idea if you have a sentimental item that your character is close to, you can incorporate it. But then also, like, it came up in a couple recent sessions, like, the idea of, like, unique material. So, like, if you have a axe or something that you want to make and you make it out of, like, say, whatever the DC, like, my... Like, you know how in, in the D, or not in DC, wow, comic book fans will kill me. In the Marvel Universe, you have, like, uh, animantium? It's like what Captain America's shield is made out of and Wolverine's claws. It's like, you know, the special MacGuffin material. I can come up with stuff like that. It's like for you to make this most beautiful pickaxe to advance in Minecraft where you need to be, you must go find the diamonds of the Utuli Mountains buried deep amongst the snow. I mean, that's a whole adventure and that could be fun. Uh, I need to maybe think about some stuff like that. That could be some fun side quest stuff for them, you know? I'd be more fun than shopping. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, and then, obviously, Angeed appears and approves of his magical item and being there. Uh, 
I remember that was a big thing that Josh said that he felt worried about that, like, you know, Angie doesn't physically appear the same way. Like, she's kind of more dreamlike and abstract. Um, so I, I think I, I like the idea of still having her be that way, like, representing the the fact that she embodies something that doesn't really exist in the physical realm. Like how do you, how do you manifest an idea? Uh, Now in Brandon Sanderson's books, you have spring, which are basically manifestations of emotions and ideas and stuff like that. But um, it's kind of interesting to translate into real life. Uh, And it also, I think especially taps into unintentionally the struggle of any creative person or someone, maybe not even creative, Well, I don't know if non-creative types struggle with this, but wanting to make something for yourself, you know, you want to make, you have this great idea for something. So you spend all this time making it and it makes you excited and you did it for yourself, but you also want others to approve of it or like acknowledge it. So I just kind of think it's funny that like Angie, Josh specifically really wants Angie to like physically like do something to show signs of approval or make it clear that like he is good enough. And I think that's at the heart of most people. We all want to know that we're enough. Um, oh yes. Okay. On a final note, they go for a horse ride. Um, and they, they go exercising and Hans and Franz is riding sure blood and talking to him or no, no, he's not riding him. He's running alongside of him. And basically, they're just, like, chatting, and basically, it's Sureblood just mentions, oh, yeah, I know the horse. Like, she sent me to you. And he's like, what? (laughs) Uh, And, okay, so because forever ago, I didn't know that, you know, he wanted a celestial steed mount, uh, you know, like the paladins thing where it's like summon steed or find steed, whatever the spell is specifically. Uh, I didn't really think about it. I didn't have much time to prepare in that moment. I just kind of made this telepathic horse and it's like, yep, I'm here. I'm cool. I'll get you from point A to point B. And now I've had time to sit on it. And I kind of like the idea of giving him personality, especially because they haven't really been doing anything with him for a while. Um, so basically though, I thought about, okay, well, if this is like a celestial spirit and it's a horse spirit, does that mean theoretically it's related to the horse? Is that possible? And I'm like, well, the horse is fate. Like, there's no reason why they wouldn't have, like, other celestial prodigy basically running around, like, spirits that are fragments of them, a part of them, however celestial beings work. So it's kind of an interesting little tie-in where it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't come up, like... It's because in the moment I didn't make that connection, but after having like weeks to think about it, I thought that would be a cool addition to the story. So yeah, the Sherblood is definitely related to their horse totem. And I think it's a little bit of a validation for the characters to know that, well, this spell worked. So obviously the horse maybe is forgiving me a little bit more because she let one of her kids come here and, and hang with me and let me ride them. So, um, Yeah, otherwise finishing, kind of finishing up the episode, Una and Hans and Franz have a pretty nice conversation, kind of connecting with each other. Una's trying to be helpful. (laughs) Like, can I help you with Unseen Servant? But like, not not physically help, but like, you know, can I have one of my cool new spells do it for you? Because I want to try it out and I think it would help. Oh, man. They're just kind of funny together how much... uh, 
They're they're trying. They're they're Hans and Franz and Una are so on opposite ends of the spectrum that like building a dynamic between the two of them is gonna be interesting. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of all I had for this episode. It was a lot of fun to record. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about the start of the camping trip. And oh God, that was such an annoying session to film because everything kept having distractions and it was just very, very hard. But there's a lot of funny moments on this camping trip. So those will be fun to talk about. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like our podcast, please share it on social media, like it on your preferred podcast listener give us a review. I would appreciate it. Uh, check out our Patreon. Consider throwing us some money every month. It would help make the sh- make it easier to make the show. Um, yeah, tune in next time um, for that camping trip episode and I'll see you then, adventurers. Have a good one.